every gospel account. Isn't that unique? I think that's because God has something for us today. He has a specific, maybe a big lesson, so that anytime you open up Scripture to read about the life of Christ, you're going to come across this miracle no matter what, which book you're in. Now, we're in the book of Mark, and so that's the view that we're going to look at today. And I want to give you the big idea uh, about today's message. And here it is. Jesus' mission of love and rescue is demonstrated through this feeding of the 5,000. This is an amazing, this is a big event. And here's how we're going to apply that. Here's what that's going to mean in our lives. Hopefully today, tomorrow, and uh, the rest of this week. When we were singing that song a moment ago um, about just, just praise the Lord all throughout the day, and I just prayed quietly, Lord, I, I ask that there would not be a moment in this day when, when praise is not in my heart. When you're not far from my lips and far from my mind. Don't, don't let there be moments where I, where I wander or drift. Just keep me, keep me in that place today. And that kind of uh, connects to our application point. It says this. When we face a problem, when you're going through a crisis, our immediate reaction is to see how much emotional or physical uh, currency uh, that we have on hand to meet that. Putting our lives in the hands of Jesus is a prelude to something beautiful and powerful and I think permanent. A new solution that maybe you wouldn't thought of or that you wouldn't have been able to meet on your own, he can do in a completely different way. Let's read this story. I know it's familiar for a lot of us and you've probably uh, seen this even far back, if you're my generation, you might have seen it in VBS on a flannel graph or uh, something like that or acted this out. Uh, but let's read it together and see what happened. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and they told him all that they had done and what they had taught. Then Jesus said, let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. There are so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. They left by boat for a quieter spot. But many people saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and met them as they landed. A vast crowd was there as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the nearby farms and villages and buy themselves from some food. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what? they asked. It would take a small fortune to buy food for all this crowd. How much food do you have? he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the crowd to sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and asked God's blessings on the food. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples to give to the people. They all 
ate as much as they wanted. And they picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. 5,000 men had eaten from those five loaves uh, that day. Now, this is a defining moment for Jesus, and it's kind of a tough time personally for him in his ministry and in his life. His home synagogue had rejected him. The citizens of Nazareth had tried to stone him. Uh, When the disciples came back, Jesus got word that his cousin, John the, the Baptist, had been beheaded by Herod Antipas. The man Jesus would later call that fox. God knew, and Jesus could see all of this was unfolding and happening. So as as a man, Jesus is grieving for his friend and for this one who had blazed the trail. You know, he he had set this path open for Jesus, and now he's gone. His disciples are just worn out, kind of like some of you feel today. You're just tired. And you know what it's like maybe to ride or to minister all day. You know, there are days we would see uh, 200 people in a medical clinic and over 100 in the eye clinic. And then you ride this old bus and then you, you go back and forth and you get there and you find out, oh, the meal's not ready and not going to be ready for a while. And there's nowhere to go to be by yourself. And you're just tired. So you understand, this is how Jesus and his disciples felt. And that makes you be frustrated. You know how when you're, when you're tired and when you're hungry and you've been busy and you're not seeing any relief and you make bad decisions and you say things later you wished you hadn't said? Well, this was kind of that moment, that environment. So Jesus wants to get away, just get some rest. So let's just step back. Take a breath and be still and quiet for a moment. So they get in this boat. They sail north. But all the crowds, they track their progress. And they go running along the shore. You know, they're parallel and just running like, hey, we see you, Jesus. And they're like, are you serious? They're following us. Yeah, they're, they're going to get there the same time we do. So they land on the northeastern shore of this lake. And, and, all, and there's these thousands of these people waiting for him. See, just take a deep breath. I love Jesus' heart because he sees them. He said, I see them like sheep without a shepherd. And it says that he had compassion on them. So deep inside, from somewhere in his heart, Jesus says, you know what? We got to do what we got to do. We got to love these people. We got we to take care of these folks. Now, he could have said, Oh my goodness, look around. There's like 15,000 people. Everybody back in the boat, back in the boat. We're going to cross the lake. We're, we're just, we've got to find another spot. But he didn't do that. In spite of his own weariness, in spite of everything that was happening, in spite of his own personal loss, Jesus said, land the boat. We've got, we've got something we've got to do. So supper time comes around, and they're faced with this impossible task. How do you feed 5,000 men and their families, and you're in a remote area out in the middle of nowhere. Years ago, we had a retreat from Calvary. We used to go to Pigeon Forge once or twice a year, or we'd go to Carson Springs, and we would take the whole church. And there would just be, you know, just a lot of people would show up for those events. We'd bring in speakers and musicians, and it it was just a fun time for our church family. I think, and I want to say it was 93, I'm not sure, Gina's nodding, it was 1993, we went to Pigeon Forge, 
And if you remember, some of you don't, you think, are you kidding me? That was like a decade before I was even on the planet. The blizzard came. We had so much snow, and we're in smoky shadows, which is almost at the very end of Pigeon Forge, and we got snowed in. Uh, our niece and nephew had come to visit us, and they, they went, and they said, we're never coming back here again, because <laughs> they just got, they came up from Mississippi, they're trapped in Pigeon Forge, it's snowing, and uh, for one of the meals, we didn't have anything to eat, and they couldn't get anything to eat, so uh, Dr. Mike Otis loaned me, he had one of those big suburban cars, you know, he trucks, it kind of thing, he had that, so I called local, the pizza place in Pigeon Forge, and I said, I need 175 pizzas. And they thought it was a prank, of course. They're like, yeah, right. I said, you guys open? They said, yeah. I said, well, nobody else is. They can't get there. I need 175 pizzas. They said, is that pickup? Yeah. I said, could you you deliver that? I said, no, I'll come pick them up. And uh, I remember getting that out and going and getting those pizzas and bringing them back. and, And just that task of feeding just a couple of hundred, you know, a few hundred people. I can't imagine. Can you imagine 5,000 hungry people, men, and then all their families? So that's the situation. So Jesus, very organized, groups the people together, almost in a military or an academic kind of a setting. He puts people in, in, in these groups, and he's got them all gathered together because that's really about the only way you can handle a crowd that big. So you jump ahead to verse 52, and you see the disciples are going to miss the entire point about everything that's happened to them that day. You see, we always look back at these events with hindsight, and we're going, hello, this was Jesus, you know, and he's going to do something incredible today, and you get to be there. You get to be an eyewitness. You know, and sometimes I project, like, myself, you know, my personality or everything we know uh, into those moments. I think, boy, if I had been there... I would have been Instagramming that like crazy. I would have just said, oh, oh, let me get this. Let me get this. This is going on my Facebook because this is huge. I can't believe, look at all these people, and I know something crazy is about to happen. They didn't know that. They had no point of reference like we do. So everybody's a little stressed, and everybody is is kind of worried about what's going to happen next. And the disciples in Scripture, it says, they were completely amazed. How could you be amazed? This is Jesus. But they were. They were completely amazed. It says, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Whatever situation you're in, and I know some of you are going through some really hard moments. Don't let your heart get hard. Don't build up a shell where you're going to miss the big thing that Jesus is going to do. And you're going to walk right past it because you've hardened your heart. And maybe you're just having a pity party. You're just feeling so sorry for yourself, or you're so angry, or you feel so neglected or abused, or whatever the situation is, and you think, well, you know, and you're just going to talk about how it affects you. And all your prayers are going to be in light of who you are. You know, I I thought about that this week because I taught several times on how to pray powerful prayers. And I don't know this from reading books. I know it. Because God is reteaching me this again in my life. When's the last time you prayed a powerful prayer, a mountain-moving prayer? When's the last time you've had the courage as, as, a, as a follower of Jesus to say, I'm going to pray for something impossible. I'm just going to pray for something impossible. I'm just going to abandon myself. I'm going to ask you for a mountain-moving prayer. I'm going to do this thing. 
But these guys didn't get it. Their hearts were hardened. I don't want us to miss this lesson uh, today. So in this message, I want to talk about some of these life-changing moments, these, these things that happened, and that can happen not only then, and it makes for a nice Bible story, but it's, it can really, really happen in your life. I mean, this can be something that you see, and it may not make it into Scripture, but it'll make it into your story. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. You're going to be able to sit down with family or friends or a classmate or somebody you work with and go, craziest thing, let me tell you what happened to me. I had one of those stories to happen this week in my life. In an unexpected moment at the end, at the end of a long day, and I had spoken three times that day, and it was at the end of the meeting, and what I was thinking about is we're almost to the finish line. I can all, I'm, I'm, I'm within an hour maybe of getting to go home and you know, lie down and just rest for a little while. And then God just did a little thing that changed the course of that day. So be aware of that and be, be in, in the moment, in the moment. Do you understand the lesson of the loaves and fish? One of those lessons is this, when you're facing an impossible challenge, and you're not sure how this is going to go, what direction this is going to spin off in, and you know how circumstances and situations just tend to kind of take on a life of their own sometime, and you feel like you're in free fall, and you're just out of control, that's a good moment to give this to Jesus. <laughs> so when that moment happens, don't measure your problem by your resources. Don't look at the problem and then try to match that up with how you would be able to solve that. That's my tendency. Well, you know, here's what I could do. I could, I could borrow some money or I could, I could do this or, well, I could... You know, no, don't do that. You're only going to be responsible whatever you're going through, whatever happens, you're only going to be responsible for what you can do. Does that help you? Does that break it down a little bit? Because sometimes what I think is that, well, now I've got to do something impossible. I've got to come up with this, or I've got to make this known, or I've got to have this happen, and, and I feel that. No, but that's not my job. God says, no, 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 I'm not calling you to do that. You do what you can do. You let me do what I can do. You stop trying to be me. You stop trying to take on the responsibility of what is only going to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you do what you can do and trust Jesus to do what only he can do. Your bank's not going to do it. Your doctor's not going to do it. Your spouse is not going to do it. Uh, your friends aren't going to do it. You know what? It's, it, you're up against something. You think, Jesus, this is on you. So don't measure your own resources. You know, here's this, this young man, this, this unnamed, we don't even know the, the kid's name, and he had brought a lunch with him. And his mom had packed him like what today would be a sack lunch. Or they had gone through the drive-through there and gotten a, a you know, first century Happy Meal. And so he shows up and he's got these, these little fish and this bread. And so he's set. You know, he's probably the smartest guy there. Nobody else thought about, oh, maybe we should take a snack with us. 
Um, and I'm that guy sometimes on a trip, and I think, I'll take a cliff bar, and I'll take this. And then, you know, halfway through, you run out, and you're looking at all your friends, and they're, you know, I remember we were in the back of a truck in Haiti once, and we'd come out of this little village, and we were trying to get all the way back to Port-au-Prince. It was a long drive and traffic, and it was dusty, and we couldn't get through the, the border. We were traveling from the DR over, and uh, we're all in the back of this truck, and we're riding along, and everybody's hungry, and we're tired, and we're kind of frustrated and everything. And uh, this guy reaches in his uh, uh, mochi, his, his uh, mochila, I was thinking, um, his backpack, and where did that come from? Um, and he pulls out this thing of beef jerky. I mean, this huge sack. And he just starts oblivious to all of us around us, everybody around him, and we're all, and he's, and he's just eating that. He's like, and he even announces, this is really good. I made this. I make it all the time. I got lots of this. And we're just like, that's great that you're getting that protein because we're going to make you do everything when we get back to camp, you know. And we're just so hard, you know. And I think, but he brought something. I think, why didn't I bring a peanut butter cracker or something? Well, nobody brought anything. And that's kind of what we do. You know, when we're faced with a problem, our immediate reaction is to reach into our pocket and see how much money you've got in your wallet or in your purse, to see how much emotional or physical currency I have on hand to meet the need. And you add it up, maybe you're at the end of the month and the car's broken, the washer went out, or your taxes came due, whatever it is, and you think, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. We've all been there in lots of different ways. I began walking with the Lord when I was about 19. A year later, I uh, enrolled in Union University, and I didn't know much about anything. Uh, and I can remember my friends or being in chapel. We had to go to chapel programs. I'm guessing they still have to do that. Uh, and I would listen to these guys, and they'd say, Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And I think, Mark. Mark. I think that one's in the other half. And I'm, you know, and I'm still at that, and I'd fake it. You know, you've done that. If it's Ezekiel or something, you pretend and you open, and you, your friend looks over and says, You're an Isaiah. Man, you're not, you don't even, I don't know where it is. I can't find it. And I would, I would, dude, I just didn't know anything. So this, the school where I went brought in these amazing speakers, and I grew and I learned so much in that season of my life about who we are in Christ and our identity and the freedom. One of the guys that came and did chapel became, at that time, just one of my all-time favorite speakers ever. His name was Peter Lord. And you've probably never heard of Peter Lord. He's from Jamaica, and he came to the U.S. But just, I listened to everything he said. And I would even get his cassette tapes. And I know that you, yeah, I know. I always have to stop and say, that's these little plastic boxes, and they had magnetic tape inside. And, but I would listen to those over and over, and, and God just blessed me through him. He's still alive. He pastored down in Titusville, Florida uh, for years and years and, and years. He's about, I think, in his 80s now, but he still, still teaches some. And, and, and God just used him. But I, I remember hearing him once saying that in every church, individuals and, and as a family, when we go through a crisis, when we go through a challenge to, together, and I shared with our team on the last night of, of our particular trip, 
that I believe I have been, and I think some of you have been, in, in spiritual warfare. You've been under a spiritual attack. So what do you do when there's a, a crisis like that? And he goes, well, here's the thing about churches. First, there are the feelers. They're the ones that go by what they feel. Well, I feel like, you know. And, and then and secondly, he said, there's the figurers. Those are the ones who say, well, here's a problem, and here's a calculated solution, and here's, I think we can figure this out. He said, but fortunately, every church has a group of faithers. They trust God. And those are three attitudes that I see a lot. I see that in myself, and I see that in a, in a church sometimes, uh, too. So let's just kind of walk through that and see which of these attitudes do you have? Where do you fit into this? And, and what I could just, you know, we could take a poll and say, what do you typically do? Well, I go to my feelings, you know, I start figuring it out, or I go to my faith. Do you let feelings be your guide? I mean, I'm an emotional, I'm a tender-hearted person, I'm kind of an emotional person sometimes. But if you judge, you know, what a solution is, or the situation, by how it feels to you, your feelings are going to mess you up. Well, I just don't feel like that's right. I just don't feel like that's wrong. I just don't feel like, you know what, your heart is just so desperately confused that you'll get it wrong if you just go by your feelings. And I'm telling you this as a guy who feels a lot of things, you know, it gets to the surface of my soul really quickly. But you know, your emotions are the shallowest part of who you are. And some of you depend on them more than everything else. I saw an interview and, and somebody, was it, was it was a protest and it was this group against this group. And, and this group said, but we have this information and we have these facts. And someone stepped forward and it's just real angry and said, feelings are more important than facts. And I thought, freeze that. What did you just say? My feelings are so much more important than your facts. I thought, no, actually, that's not true. <laughs> but we make it true sometimes, but that's the shallowest part of your soul. Now, some people say, well, I figure we can do this. And here's what I, I figure this. We call those people deacons. <laughs> no, I'm just, just kidding. Um, but that's a giftedness, and sometimes that, that's very much. Now, I don't know who was the CPA in this group, but somebody was doing the math. And uh, one person said they think it was Philip. I don't know. Tradition says that, and he got his eye uh, back us out um, because they didn't have androids then. And, 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 they, and he, he started his calculation, and so he punches it in. He goes, 5,000 men. And I see, I see about that, that many women. Let's add in the children. Let's just round it off and say there's 15,000 people here. Multiply that times buck seventy-five a person. That's the cost of a meal. You can get it in bulk. Um, you can go to Sam's or Costco. We can, we can do that and then divide that by one denarius, which is the amount of money that uh, maybe the wage that people would uh, make. And let's see, that's a working day. Okay. And then they go to Jesus and say, Lord, we've, we've been working on this, and um, we've got an engineer here. And, and he said, Lord, the, the numbers don't lie. It would take us eight months to earn enough money to be able to feed this many people. Your salary, your monthly salary times eight, that's what they're up against. And he says, we, we, don't, we don't have that. We don't have anywhere near that amount. As you know, as we know, we're broke. 
and we, we, just, we just don't have anything. That's the way a lot of people approach uh, any challenge or crisis. What's it going to cost me? Well, I don't know. What's that going to cost? How, much, how long is that going to take? You know, sometimes we ask for volunteers, and, you know, we just got all new chairs in the building, and folks come up, and, and I know sometimes that we have work days, and some folks, we, we just, I know you can't come, but some people think, hey, I don't know, you know, how, how, how long is it going to take, or how much is that going to cost me? And you get estimates, and you, you read the reviews, and you try to get the best deal, and, you, and you're doing the, the figuring on that. How much is it going to cost me? But thank the Lord, there are some people who say, I faith you, Lord. I faith that God's going to do the impossible. Pistuo is actually a verb. Now, we use it, you have faith. Is it something, you, you know, you tangle? Do you, do you hold it? Do you have it? Do you possess I have faith. It's not something you, you acquire and then just kind of carry it around with you. It's more of an action thing. It's something you do. Adrian Rogers used to say that faith is just belief with legs on it. It's something that you move. So when you faith God to do the impossible, and as, as, as a pastor, you know, we always gravitate toward the faithers. Pastor, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'm with you. I'm believing. I just think God wants to do this. And so I'm going to pray for that, or I'm going to give to that. I'm going to be a part of this. I believe that. I believe this little boy, in his innocence and just in his uh, fascination with Jesus, was just overwhelmed. He goes, yeah, I'll give my lunch up. And he, and he, and he gives it. What would that be with so many people? You know, my tendency would be to think, you know, I've only got this little bit, and it's not going to make a big difference, so why would I give that away? I mean, that's, I'm just going to keep this. It's not going to... So let me ask you, which, which is your natural tendency? What's your go-to position? Do you go by feelings, figuring, or faith? Listen, here's another lesson. A little bit becomes a lot when it's given to Jesus. When you get him involved in your situation and you think, but I've only got this, it becomes a lot in the hands of Jesus. So here's this little boy, and he, he's brought to Jesus somehow. We, we don't know the exact details of this, but he, he willingly hands over this small lunch. And, and I'll mention to you that uh, you, you can look this up in the original language. And this is not fish. This is not like he came walking up, you know, and he had, you know, like three dolphins or something. It, it was, I'm sorry, that some of you, I, I know that's really insensitive. But whatever kind of fish is okay to eat. So he, he, it wasn't like he came up with that and he had big loaves of bread. That, you know, it, it wasn't that. This, these are the words for small little rolls. Just little, little slices, little pieces of bread. And little fish, just a word for little fish, okay? He just had a snack, like a little fish sandwich, which sounds terrible to me, but some of you would like that. You'd go through the drive-thru at McDonald's and say, yeah, give me the fish sandwich. Or Arby's now sells fish. I think, what are you doing selling fish? You're roast beef. They go, no, we're going to sell fish. You just had one of those, and you've got it behind your back. You're thinking, and, and, and you know how... My son and I went to, I won't say which one, because 
one of you could be in law enforcement, and you might arrest him, or you work for Regal Theaters. Uh, he was really hungry, and we we're going to a movie, so where do we stop? We go through the drive-thru at Crystal. Now, is there a more distinct aroma than a Crystal? So we go in the theater, and he's got it all, and, I know, and I, he's smuggling food into a theater, and I'm, I'm just confessing. I feel like this is a great time just to come clean, bare my soul. So he's hiding it. Of course, so when he opens his coat and he opens the sack, you know everybody around us is like, that's Crystal. <laughs> you didn't get that here. You didn't get that concession stand up there. You know, and I'm trying to act innocent like I don't know him. I move over a seat. And he's eating. I just wonder, in this situation, this little boy, he pulls out his little sack, and somebody's like, I smell, is that fish? Somebody got a fish sandwich? And he, he brings that. But this is made from the coarsest, cheapest flour. It's just this. But this little boy, he takes this big step of faith, which is all we need. And I don't know if he was timid. I mean, that's a lot of people. Do you like getting up in front of a lot of people? Can you imagine having to step forward in front of 15,000 people and everybody's watching you? And he's just like this. But he does it. He steps up. I just, I just love this guy. He steps up. And then, without him knowing what's going to happen next, the power of God is about to be released in his life. And I believe... <laughs> Don't you know that he told this story over and over and over again for the rest of his life? Billy, or Billy Mias, whatever that would have been, you know, in that culture. <laughs> okay, Tell, and he's, he's like 70, 80 years old. Grandpa, tell us that story again about when you were a little boy. He goes, okay, there I was. And we had run along the shore, and we were there, and there were 15,000. And he just goes, and they had heard it so many times. They'd heard this story. But that became his go-to. That became this remarkable thing that happened in his life. Listen, the crisis that you're living in, and you think is so awful, and you just want it to be over. This could be your moment. This could be where God is just about to do something amazing. And here's what I found about spiritual warfare is that oftentimes it comes either on the heels of or right before God is about to do some of his most significant work and bless you in ways that you would have never imagined. And so he throws this against you. And here's this moment. And it's late and they're tired and Jesus has been teaching and they don't have anything to eat. Everybody's getting hangry. So this little boy steps up, and the power of the Lord is released in his little life. And here's what he did. There's, certain, there's phases as this moves forward. And the first thing he did is that he transferred everything he owned, what was his property. I mean, they weren't going to steal his food. Hey, kid, give me that bread. <laughs> That wouldn't be the disciples, maybe some of them, but Judas may have said, yeah, give me those fish. Uh, but no, they were just like, hi, listen, um, noticed you've got a, you know, a little Happy Meal there. Uh, you you want to share it? And you know, he just probably looked around, but he had to give permission. It was his. God may call on you to transfer ownership of something that is yours to Jesus, and it may be something precious or something rare. So you may be the only one that has it. And you think, I don't really want to give this up. 
I came prepared. My mama packed me supper. I'm the rightful owner of these fish and loaves. How many of you would have snuck off behind a rock and eaten it? You know, and you, you know, and, and, and everybody's like, well, you okay? Yeah, I'm really hungry too. <laughs> Not because I just ate my... He could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't keep it private. He went public with his food. And the text doesn't say whether Jesus asked him for it or if the little boy just stepped up and said, hey, I, uh, I've, got, I've got some food here if you want it. Whatever happened, regardless, he gave it to Jesus. He gave away what was his. There's something powerful about that. There's something liberating when you do that. And I know, and I, I knew I was going to be up against it today, and I know we're distracted by a lot of things, but I thought, Lord, when I get to this idea, nobody's going to believe me. Most people are not going to believe this. You want me to transfer my assets to you and make that available to other people? Yes, and you'll be better off if you do it. No, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I want you to consider all of your assets and your abilities and everything that you have. See, really, we don't own anything. God wants us to transfer what we think is ownership of all that we have back into his hands. Now, at the end of this, it's going to say everybody ate and was satisfied. You ever had just enough, and maybe he ate that, and he's looking around in his sack, and he's thinking, Mom didn't put any chips. There's no apple. There's no Little Debbie's. There's all she put was the fish and the bread. I'm still hungry. He would have eaten this and still been hungry. But the text says that after they ate all of this, everybody's full. The last night of our trip, they fed us this huge meal, and we're all just. And they keep asking, do you want more? Do you want more? Are you full? This was that moment for the disciples where they're like, oh, you know what? No, no, no. Nobody wants it. Everybody's satisfied. Even the little boy got more than he brought. Because that's what God does when you give up your assets. Now, I found out something kind of interesting. Did you know... Uh, that those who perform five acts of giving over six weeks, and this is not a Christian source, okay? This is a physiological, neurological, biological fact. Those who give five acts, you know, they give five times over six weeks are happier than those who don't give. You're happier when you give. When they, you give. And they've been able to measure this. And they've said it reduces stress. Uh, the stress hormone levels go down. It lowers blood pressure. It increases endomorphins. Acts of kindness and generosity reduce anxiety. And they actually strengthen your immune system. Five acts of kindness in one week can increase your feelings of happiness For up to three months later. You see, most of us think this is how much I have. And the way to be happy is if I keep it all and I buy more stuff, then I'm going to be happy. But what happens? I mean, has, has, seriously, has that ever worked? Maybe for a moment, maybe as you're checking out, maybe the next day. And then after a while, you think... Where is that? I think it's on a shelf or in a drawer. It's up in my closet. And I remember the day I bought it and I thought, oh my goodness, this is so awesome. And then it fades away. 
I'm calling you out to try this. For the next 90 days, be a giver. If you don't typically give here at Calvary, be a part of what we're doing. Begin to be generous. And at the end, I've made this, I've made this offer before. If you start giving, and we'll say the tithe. I know that's an Old Testament law, but let's, it's a good place. You know, you got 10 cantaloupes and you give one of them back to Jesus. That's, that's, that's okay. Let's say you do that. If you will do that and you, and you give that here, and at the end of 90 days you come back and say, Dan, I've given it and I am so miserable. I am so unhappy. We'll give you your money back. I don't know if I have the authority. I need to check with finance to see if I have the authority to make that offer. But I'm just so confident. I've made it through the years over and over again. And I've had lots of people to come back and say, Oh my goodness, I'm a giver now. We're having such a great time. One Easter, I gave all my children 20 bucks. And I said, I don't, know, I don't care what you do with it, but give it away. Find ways to give it away. And I could have said, this is yours. Go spend it. Get something for 20 bucks. I don't know what you can get. Go to Amazon. Go to the store. But I said, you got to give it away. And in two weeks, we're going to get back together, and I want to know what everybody did. Within a few days, my kids are texting me saying, Dad, this is hilarious. I'm having the best time. All of them, every one of them said, best $20 I ever spent. I had more fun with that $20 than I have ever had ever doing anything else with it. I know you don't believe me, so I'm challenging you, calling you out. Do what this little boy did. Give it up. Little boy didn't say, Jesus, I'll give you one fish. (laughs) Now, this is me. This is what I would have done instead of the whole lot. I would have said, how about, okay, I tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to share because I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel guilty tonight. I don't want to look around. So I'm going to give you one of my fish and I'm going to tear off some of this bread. There, I gave. That's what some of, we do, some of us do. Now, give what he tells you to give. Just surrender. Jesus, what do you want me to surrender? Then that's what I'm going to surrender. And I love the fact, I'm just going to say this, and I, there's no sin in doing whatever you want to do on you know, spring break. Some of you, maybe you went to the beach, or you went to you know, uh, wherever you did. God bless you. This is not to make false guilt or shame. But for those of you who went on these two teams, I just got to tell you, to give up your vacation, to give up your spring break, and I know that some of you, it was sacrificial, financially. You had to dig to be able to get the funds up. And then you sleep in bunk beds and you eat camp food or you work all day and you never get a moment to yourself. God bless you. That's what I'm talking about. To be able to give, to be able to go, to be able to do. And you don't have to go. The beautiful thing is God may say, you know what? I don't want you to go to North Carolina. You don't have to go to Guatemala. How about your neighbor who lives next door? How about that guy that sits next to you in class? How about that person sitting alone at the lunch table every day? We're missionaries in Knoxville. This is where he planted us. This is where we give. This is my church. This is our church. This is where I give. This is where I give because I believe in what God is doing through Calvary. So God calls us out and and we give and we surrender And then Jesus transforms what we gave to him, and he gives us back more. I just love that about the Lord. You know, when you surrender everything, and he gives it back to you, and he blesses it, and he multiplies it, 
And then there's happiness and there's joy in that. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Do you remember in John 12 where Mary broke this, um, this perfume and she put it on the feet of Jesus and Judas is freaking out and everybody's kind of like, oh my goodness, that was so expensive. I can't believe she just took this bottle of Ooh, la la. <laughs> I don't know. Armani. I don't know. And she pours it and they're like, that is so expensive. You know, and she's kind of shamed. She's kind of criticized, but she does this for Jesus. But then I want you to, I don't, I'm putting a little into this, but then it says she wipes it with her hair and her tears. She's just so full of worship in her heart and she wipes it with her hair. So when this is all over and everybody else has gone away and they're criticizing and everything and their day becomes pretty much back ordinary. But what about her day? Listen, check it out. What was the fragrance, the aroma that she carried around for days in her hair? You get it? What she gave to Jesus was given back to her. And she was the only one in the crowd who walked away smelling like Jesus. And had that beautiful smell. And everywhere she went, she'd go to the market. She'd go home and they'd go, oh, whoa, you smell so good. What is that? A bottle of expensive ointment I poured on this guy's feet. But she got to have that aroma. I, I want us to have, I want you to have the aroma of Jesus in your life every day. Where your friends and your family go, what is that about you? There is something about you that's so sweet so pleasant even if you don't have much to give he didn't have much some of you don't give because you think eh, it won't make a difference it'll make a difference it'll make a difference we're a family that's what it does now sometimes God will create a need in your life so that he can demonstrate how he wants to meet that need and your confidence and your faith in him continue to increase and you just keep going deeper into Jesus uh, in your life so sometimes yeah it's from the devil you know sometimes it's because of your own sin your own failure the mistakes that you've made that consequences come but sometimes God will bring something about in your life and it's just all him he did this or he allowed it to happen because he's got something he wants to show you so Look into your situation and see God. And I know in hindsight, I can always do that. I think, oh, Lord, I wouldn't go through that again for a million dollars. But I wouldn't take what you've done in me for a million dollars. So let God use those moments. Don't waste the problems and the crises and the situations of your life. Don't just try to get through it and think, whew, I'm glad that's over. Let God do something. Let God do something. And you can think back sometime when you went through a terrible crisis or a challenge and you you wondered, oh, Lord, am I ever going to get through this? But here you are. God sustained you. God was faithful and he brought you through. And he will bring you through again. He will. He will. Don't let go. Just look forward. And you know, on my worst days, I always think, you know what, though? One day, I'm going to go to heaven. <laughs> and I know that sounds like a little pie in the sky, but that's really comforting to me to go, you know, whatever happens, 
I know I'm in Christ, and I know I'm going to be in heaven for eternity. And this is just going to last a little while. And that's just, that's like, okay, whatever. And I'm old, so I know I'm closer to it than a lot of you. Some of you think, yeah, but that's going to be like 90 years from now, you know. And, but for me, it's not so much. So that's a good thing when you're going through your crisis uh, to look to that. Because we don't know. Check this out. This is what Paul, his view, his attitude about this in Romans 8.18, uh, he says this. Yet we, what we suffer now, the thing you're going through now, is nothing. That's nothing compared to the glory that he's going to reveal in you later. He's going to reveal glory in you later. So don't get too focused on your sufferings. Don't just look at your situation and think, oh, oh you know, it's temporary. You're going to get past it. You're going to get past it. Now, there's another verse, and this is so familiar that it's almost become cliche. You know, there are certain scriptures that now we just kind of pull them out. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't think that means what you think it means. I have a plan and a future and a hope. Yeah, he really does, but keep thinking. Now, this is one of those verses that we say so much that it just becomes like, eh, eh, I don't know if I hear it. I don't know if I listen. I want you to re-listen today and pretend you've never heard it before. I'm going to read this with you. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes in them. Isn't this beautiful? God wants to use whatever circumstance you're going through and all these things that you look at and go, oh, oh man. And God says, I'm going to weave that into the fabric of your life. And I'm going to bless it. I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to give it back in beauty. What you thought was ashes, I see as glory. God says, look through your current situation, your crisis, through Romans 8, 28. And when you're in the middle of that, don't lose sight that God's got a bigger plan. Years and years ago, there was a, a famous preacher named Vance Havner, and he was known for his witty sayings. Uh, and he said this, when you're up to your neck in alligators, it's not the time to convene a symposium on how to drain the swamp. <laughs> And that's what we do. You know, we make a study out of it, and we mull over it, and we, we think about it from every way, and we go to sleep thinking about it, and you wake up, and God says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. He's going to carry you through if you just walk by faith. And that's a powerful thing. You know, the Bible is not just a book of rules or... What, what, and that's what some of us have reduced it to. That's all it is for you. It's just a morality guide, and you just look stuff up to see what you can and can't do. It was never intended to be just that. That's the Old Testament. It's not just a book of heroes, although there's a lot of heroes in the Bible. There's stories that I love. There are some. The Bible is mostly, it's a story. And, and all the stories of the Bible, and even my story and your story, all fall into this one big story. You see, you thought you were the main character in your life, but you're not. Jesus is. You're, you're just one of the extras. <laughs> it's about him. It's his story. 
And in this story, the plot, the climax, the big deal about the story is that he longs to love and rescue you. And he will do that in some amazing ways that you'll never forget if we're surrendered. So let's figure that out together today. So let me ask you, can, can you put the, uh, those talking points back up there? Would that be real simple? Let me just, um, let's go back and, and, and just kind of review, walk through this, because you need to know where you are and kind of define that. Are you measuring your problems by your own resources? Are you going in, are you under spiritual warfare right now? Or is it just, is it financial? Is it health? Is it relational? What, what is it? Are you measuring that by your own resources? Do we understand that a little becomes a lot when it's put in the hands of Jesus? So don't look at that. Don't worry about how little bit that you have. And know this, that God may just be creating something brand new in your life through a crisis. This could be the trigger, the catalyst to something fresh and new and powerful. This could be a defining moment. All these people are gathered and they're, star- they're so hungry and they're so tired. Jesus has been through one of the hardest times of his life. And all they have is just this little bit. But Jesus takes that and all four gospels give testimony. It was so big. It was such an, an amazing thing that happened. All the gospels record it. God may be about to do something in your life so big you're never going to forget it. And it's going to change the course of everything that's going to happen next. Will you today, metaphorically, give your bread, your fish, your situation to the Lord? This could be a defining moment for you right now. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's surrender.